0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff and management.
1: There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working On Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working On Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez.
2: Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Hermiston, Oregon this week, as I am on the road traveling to visit friends and family here in Oregon, where I I hail. As you know, if you've been tuning in for a while, I am obsessed with the world of work and how people meaningfully connect to it. My mission is to bring you guests of all ages and backgrounds to share their experiences and lessons learned in the hopes that you learn something valuable for your own career and are maybe even inspired to take your next big step. So last week, we spoke with Hubert Tang, a 24-year-old wine sales associate who is just beginning his career and dreams to one day open his own wine shop. So to me, he represents the hope and wonder so many of us have when we are just in backgrounds to share their experiences and lessons learned in the hopes that you learn something valuable for your own career and are maybe even inspired to take your next big step. So last week, we spoke with Hubert Tang, a 24-year-old wine sales associate who was just beginning his career and dreams to one day open his own wine shop. So to me, he represents the hope and wonder so many of us have when we are just starting out and he shared his approach to study and preparation for his career. Good conversation. This week, our conversation focuses on work and career from the vantage point of having a few more years in and being in a leadership role. I have the distinct pleasure of interviewing someone near and dear to my heart, my brother, Steve Taylor. For this conversation, we are in his office at RDO Equipment here in Hermiston, Oregon, where he is a regional general manager. And my strategy was that if I cornered him in his own office, face-to-face, he couldn't possibly turn me down for an interview, right? Right. Steve, I'm glad you agreed to join me. Welcome to the show.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: So I have lots of things I want to I want to ask you, and the really awesome thing for me is that I bet I'm going to learn things about you that I've never known in all the time that we've spent, all the decades we've spent together living on this planet. So just to kick us off here, will you introduce yourself and say a bit about what you do at RDO Equipment? Sure.
3: Um, again, my name is Steve Taylor. I'm the regional general manager for RDO Equipment Company, Northwest Ag. So I deal in all agricultural equipment. Um, there's more facets to our business. It's uh, construction, Vermeer, TopCon. But uh, I focus on ag. With that, um, yeah, I'm the general manager over the five Northwest stores, which would be Hermiston, Pendleton, Wasco, Sunnyside, and Pasco. Uh, We also just acquired three more stores in Montana, uh, being Ronan, Montana, Kalispell, and Missoula, which I oversee the sales functions of that as well.
2: So a little bit of travel, I'm guessing.
3: A little bit, yeah.
2: <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I do want to know more about RDO. I've certainly heard of the company name for years and years and years, but I don't know much about it. How did it start, and what does the company do?
3: Sure. Um, it's, it's actually a really great story, and I've got to tell it uh, at many customer events. Um, the company started in 1968. Uh, Ronald Offit is our owner and our chairman and our founder. Um, basically, Ron and his family were farmers in North Dakota, Castleton, North Dakota, to be exact. And in 1968, they had a John Deere store that they dealt with. Um, The owner wanted to sell the store. He went to Ron Offit and his father and said, you know, I want to sell the store. Um, The only problem is the people that want to buy it don't want to rent equipment. Well, in 1968, Ron Offit needed to rent equipment because they didn't have the capital to purchase it. So he sat down and thought, well, I need to get in this business somehow or another. So it's actually pretty cool. He sold 160 acres of potato land that they had. And then he borrowed, I want to say it was $40,000 from his grandmother and he buys the store. So uh, RDO equipment started in 68 and it was pretty, it's an amazing story. Uh, About three weeks into it, the owner stayed on as kind of a a supervisor to kind of show him how to show him the ropes of the business. And uh, he came to him and he said, so uh, payroll's next week. What do you got? What do you got in your account for payroll? And he goes, well, I don't have anything. I gave you all the money I've got, you know, and he goes, well, you're gonna have to figure this out. So. As far as partnerships go, they went to all their customers and said, look, um, can you prepay us for your parts for your winter inspections and this and that? And uh, the customers did it and RDO started. So uh, a little bit more about the business. Um, We've got 75 stores here in the U.S. We have partnerships in Ukraine and Russia, and we just acquired another partnership in Australia, which is about 12 different stores, Um, agriculture, um, construction. Topcon construction and Vermeer is our, those are our main areas of business. What's Vermeer? Vermeer is uh, if you see a lot of the contractors, so they'll make they make equipment such as chippers, um, so small chippers all the way up to like direct boring tools, like you see those giant tools that that will bore pipe underneath the freeways or underneath the river, that type of stuff. So Vermeer' it's kind of a special specialty business, um, but uh, that's Vermeer, mainly a contractor type of tool.
2: Okay. So for our listeners who are not sitting here in the office with us here, I have to give you a picture. When I walked in, so I, I drove in past some some farmland here to get to this office. And then when Steve brought me in, of course, he's, he brought me through the shop. And there are these big, enormous um, vehicles or rigs out there. One was a combine. Yep. So to help them understand, what else, what other kinds of things does the company sell in terms of ag- agriculture? For
3: agriculture, um, it'd, be, it'd be anything from a 25-horsepower a tractor to a 560-horsepower tractor. Wow. Um The stuff that you would walk by in the shop, we have a 9560RT in there, which is a big track machine, basically a big pulling machine um, for tillage and that type of work. Uh, The combine you saw, obviously, you know, wheat's a pretty big thing around this area in this basin. And so uh, lots of combines, lots of tractors, um, forage harvesters for the dairy markets. We sell a fair amount of those over in our Sunnyside location. But uh, yeah, basically anything from, we're a Honda dealer, so anything from a small Honda push mower to a 560 horsepower tractor
2: so what do you do with a 560 horsepower tractor i mean what is
3: that for it's i mean it's all basic tillage if you're if you're ripping or you're you're pulling a big disc or um any type any time of f- type of field preparation um you'll use that that big rt tractor um also a lot of guys will use them during wheat harvest so they got like a 1200 bushel wheat cart you okay. have to have something with a lot of power to pull it and mainly something to stop that 1,200 bushels of wheat that's falling behind you. Yeah,
2: <laughs> got so, yeah. it. Yeah. Got the picture. Okay, that yeah. helps because I don't think you can really appreciate if you're just sitting out there in the listening audience really what this company does. Right. The equipment is amazing. Yeah. It's really impressive. Okay, so you know I have to ask because I started my, my world in human capital in recruiting. So I have to ask how long you've been here at RDO and, of course, how you got the job.
3: So it's that's actually kind of a funny story too. Um, so I have I have some friends that work at RDO. I've uh, been friends with them for... 35 years. Um, for a long time, I've been with the company for about eight years now. Um, a friend of mine that works, still works here, had talked to me about coming to work in sales, and uh, I always had my own stuff going on. I, you know, I, I was a busy guy. I, I had stuff going on. I didn't really need to, didn't need another job. Well, uh, I had some life changing events in my life, and uh, anyway, I uh, he called me up and he said, "So are you ready to come to work?" And I said, "Yeah." As a matter of fact, I am. And so I came to work right here at this Hermisson store. As a, we call him a transactional salesman. So I, I had a little office downstairs, and I sold CP equipment, the small stuff, the lawnmowers, the maybe up to hundred horsepower tractors, and uh, that's how I started. But it, uh, it's been quite a, quite a ride over the past eight years.
2: Okay. So eight years. And when I consider starting in the sales capacity that you did and where you are now, one of the things I want to get to in this conversation is just how exactly you did that. Sure. But before we get there, I also know that you had a big life, a full career before you ever started this business. So can you sketch a bit of that? What did you do before you came to RDO?
3: Sure. Absolutely. I mean, I think as you, as you well know, growing up, uh, uh, you and I were always pretty, seemed to be pretty busy working at Mom and Dad's restaurant, right. and uh, we learned to work at a very young age. I started working. Um, I got out of the restaurant business when I was about fourteen and started working on a farm. Um, anyway, I uh, worked on the farms through the summer. Went to school for a short bit after high school. Went to work for a company called Commercial Tire, which is a which is a large tire retailer. I worked there for until about two thousand one. Came back home. Did some government contracting work, and uh, again, I, I had some changes in about 2005. Um, I was uh, I owned a parts store, uh, I owned a repossession company, and um, I bought and sold a lot of cars, and I had a, a small body shop. So I was pretty busy. And uh, it's funny though, you know, when we talk about how you get to where you're at and what you, you know, how you got here, um, it's really amazing when you look at uh, at the way. The way business is, you know, if you're in business by yourself, you've got to you got to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Just like we talked earlier, well, Ron, you got to make payroll. What are you going to do? Well, what am I going to do? I'm going to sell more stuff and I'm going to make payroll, right? <laughs> right. So anyway, uh, I came to work. I Yeah, I came to work at RDO and uh, started selling stuff, obviously. And uh, it was funny. You know, one thing led to another. I started here in Hermiston. Then I went over to Pendleton and I was an account manager, which is more of a on-the-road sales. You have, an, a, you have a list of maybe 50 to 100 customers and you only call on them. You only take care of their needs. You sell them. You sell the whole dealership. We're a solutions provider. That's really what we do. We sell part sales, and service. We find the right equipment to meet your needs. But uh, I did that for about, oh, 19, 18, 19 months. Uh, well, the store manager position came open in Hermiston, and I applied for it. And uh, it was really funny. I, I've learned a lot since then, but I remember sitting in an interview, and um, it was actually um, several of our leadership folks out of Fargo, because that's where our main office is, came down and they were interviewing the final candidates and I happened to be one of them. And I said, they said, so, you know, what makes you a good leader? And I said, I said, I'm driven. You know, you can always, there can always be a canned response like, oh, I, you know, I follow the process. I follow the procedures. Well, I follow those to an extent, but I mean, I'm I'm a very driven individual. And I don't, uh, when I, when I look, I'm a broad picture type of guy. You know, I know, I know where I want to, I know where I want to be. I know where my team wants to be. And I know how to get us there. So um, when they had asked, you know, you know what, what makes you different? And I said, you guys just have to watch me. I said, That's <laughs> t- I'm, I'm, I, I said I can't explain what I do. I just do what I do and you'll be impressed. And there you go. So Hermeson store manager for about a year and a half. Went to our Pasco store, which is the biggest store in the Northwest, for about eight months. Became a general manager after that.
2: Okay. One of the things I have to actually say out and call out for our listeners is, right, the importance of really just knowing in your own bones that you're good at something. Yeah. Being able to convey that confidence to somebody where it really, when and where it really matters, that is, that is golden, mm-hmm. right? That's just gorgeous. And then along those lines, the other thing that I wanted to understand, because so many of our listeners out there across the world have had various kinds of careers and they're wondering, gosh, did I waste my time doing six years with this and 10 years with that? Can you help us understand maybe what is your perspective about how those previous experiences have maybe helped you in the work that you do today? Oh,
3: absolutely. I I mean, I I wouldn't change a minute of my past, uh, my career, my careers, um, the life experiences that you learn, you know, when... uh, when I was in the tire business at a real young at a very young age, you know, I was managing my first store when I was twenty one years old. A lot of things I didn't do right, obviously. But a lot <laughs> of things you learn from. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm that was twenty years ago, right? So, um twenty years goes by and I mean you take your knocks and you learn and you move on and you you get better, right? It's all about getting better. It's about being if you want to be a, a good leader, you're always you you've you always have to constantly improve and try to improve on what you're doing and, and uh and how you're gonna lead that team. And so I mean i wouldn't change a minute of my past, absolutely not. I mean you learn
2: and so what kinds of things, for example you know you you had that you had the body shop, you had the um, repo business, yeah. you were in the restaurant business, you had farming background. Help us understand how those things contribute to what you feel like you know today and what you did learn
3: well i think it's it's all about learning I, so if if i the really nice thing about the the business that I'm in now is yeah i did i I farmed, I did that, you know I worked for a farm, I understand equipment, I understand. I understand what works and what doesn't in certain applications now you learn a lot more as you as you go through it but uh um, and then a the basic business sense like we had talked earlier when you when you've got uh when you've got enough stuff going on I mean everything has to work because if it doesn't work it's not worth doing i mm-hmm. mean you it's and i mean yeah you everybody wants to make money everybody wants to be successful but uh you've got i so the basic business knowledge I felt I was pretty good at that because I'd done it you know i I know how to look at a balance sheet, I know what a P and L looks like, I know I know I know those things. I know what our hard costs are and I know what I need to do to get to to get above that and make profit. Um, you don't if you and if you've never done it, it's pretty tough to to lead somebody to, to lead a team of people and have them understand how that's gonna work.
2: Totally agree with that. And one of the things that comes to my mind here that I I have to just kind of cue up for you, and we haven't talked about this at all, but I, I, one of the things that I've always known about you as your big sister is that you are, you're great with people. I mean, really, I mean, you can walk into any situation and you just, you get people, you can find a way to connect with them and you're on their same page. Do you think you got that from the restaurant business or is that just Steve Taylor?
3: You know, I don't know. I think maybe a lot of it was the restaurant business. As you know, we dealt with people every day. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that you can you can train you can train somebody to be a good manager. You can train them with the processes and the procedures, but you can I don't think you can really train somebody to be good with people. I mean, there's lots of books you can read. There's I mean, and I've read them. Trust me, I've read them, and I've always pulled. If I can pull one or two pieces out of one of those books, that'll make me a better leader. And that's what I'm going to do. But you know, I think maybe you're right. A little bit of that came from the restaurant. We started at a very very young age. Yeah, we so, did.
2: Well, I you know, for me, I mean, I've told dad many times that he saved me because I was supposed to be the town librarian, <laughs> there you go. right? I was supposed to be the person that just looked at books all the time. It wasn't until dad made, work, made me work in the restaurant that it forced me to develop my personality and my comfort around people. Right. I think you already had an advantage there. I don't think you had to overcome that that the same way that I did. I think there was still a, a template in place there for you, but I think maybe you got some training along the way, too, that helped the process. I don't know.
3: Certainly. Okay. No, certainly. Um And I mean, I don't know if we'll get into it later, you know, as, as we, as we talk over this next hour, but, uh, I mean, I've had a lot of opportunities to become a better leader at RDO more than any other, any other company I've ever worked for. Um, I was a member of a management institute group, which is a 30 month group. And, uh, that's what you do. I mean, it's all about learning. It's all about becoming a better leader and, uh, it's a long 30 months. It's a lot of work. Uh, um, my friend Luke Nornberg, who you met earlier is in that, in that program now, um. It's a ton of work. Um, as you come away from that, you just you learn you learn more about being a better leader. You learn more about being a better coach. Um, and I've certainly picked up a lot since I've been an RDO.
2: I do want to talk more about that. In fact, I have several questions specifically that I want to address to that. But before we get there, before we get to that place, I think it would be helpful for our listeners to understand your day-to-day. What What's involved in a typical day for you? And I know they're all over the place, but generally speaking.
3: They certainly are. Um, day-to-day operations for me um, from a sales standpoint is, uh, so I'm responsible for all, all sales that run through the Northwest. I'm responsible from the start to the finish to, um, to putting together sales plans, to budgeting with with every single account manager that works for us, um, my my role is a little different than that of a um, maybe a normal general manager. I do have a few managers that report directly to me. I've got ten, excuse me, I have nine account managers that are salesmen that report to me as well. Um, so the day to day is, you know, this morning before you got here, every Monday morning we have a Monday morning sales call. We talk about uh, crop conditions, you know, what's new in the market. What have we done What have we done to be a better solutions provider? We go through quotes and sales with the guys. Um, that happens every Monday. After that, I'll normally have a meeting with whoever my direct reports are at whichever store I'm at. That can vary big time. I mean, it can be in Hermiston or it can be one of the other stores in the Northwest. But uh, I sit down with them and go over their sales plans, what it looks like for the week, what their activities were for the prior week. And uh, then you go from there. I also, for the moment, am uh, I am the Sunnyside store manager as well. So... As you knew, we've talked a little bit before this week, Um, I try to spend three to four days a week in Sunnyside, so it does really condense things a bit.
2: Okay, awesome. Great great ability to be able to narrate a lot of days for us to understand your day-to-day. That was perfect for us. Thanks, Steve. You bet. It's time for our first break already. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Steve Taylor, who is a Regional General Manager at RDO Equipment. Uh, we are sitting here in Hermiston, Oregon, and we've been talking about how he got into his career and in his previous careers and how they've lent to what he does today. After the break, we're going to learn more about what leadership lessons he's learned and how he uses them today. Stay with us. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
1: To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Like so many others, do you put on a game face to the world? The pressures of work, home, and personal life exerts its toll on us on a daily basis. Yet, it feels risky to let others see what lies beneath the facade, let alone talk about it. What would be possible if we could connect with each other at a deeper level in the place where our shared humanity lies? Tune in to Stories from the Heart of Leadership with host Shamin Sadek to discover how to do this in your own life. Listen live every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
2: Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. We're here with Steve Taylor, who is a regional general manager at RDO Equipment Company. We are in his office here in Hermiston, Oregon, talking about his his career, and now we're going to get into really the leadership components here. And I'm very intrigued. Before the break, we were talking about how here at RDO you would gotten a lot of exposure to leadership training. And, of course, I work in that field, so you know I have to ask about what's the program that you were talking about. You said it was 30 months in duration. What kinds of things do you cover et cetera. That's
3: what I want to know next. Sure. Sure. Um, well, the man, it's called the R- Audio equipment company management Institute. Um, there's been, uh, basically three classes. I was in the second class, uh, how it works is a vice president or a general manager will, uh, will kind of vote for you on, on who's going to be that next leader in the company. Um, I was lucky enough to be, to be picked in the second group. And I want to say we started off with 25 participants in the group, and. Uh, we all, we all met. We all went to our field support office in Fargo. Everybody flew down. We had our meeting, and, um, I mean, it's pretty tough. The expectations are very high. You're expected to perform. You're expected to bring stuff to the table every quarter when you meet. And uh, we lost. Either they, either they couldn't make the cut or it was too much work or whatever. I think we graduated about 17 of us out of that group. Um, how it works is we sit down, we lay out the ground rules of what we're going to do and how we're going to make the company better. We do that. We sit down. Um, We read books. Obviously, books are good. Um, We read our first book. We'd read the first book, and then we would go through it. And uh, you'd almost do—it's going to sound kind of lame, but kind of a book report on it, right? Yeah, sure. But your book report was what you learned from the book. You had to uh, do—I want to say—the first one was maybe a ten-minute presentation. You'd you'd do a PowerPoint presentation of what you learned, how you're going to take it back, and use it at your location, and uh, you know where you're going to go from there. So as it grows you start kind of getting a network and then we do cap, they were called capstone assignments. So when it's all said and done after that 30 months is over, um, we would all, we would, we would either be in a group of one or two or three or four. My, I, I was lucky enough to be paired up with a very good friend of mine. Um, his name's Colby Gergovich. He's an aftermarket manager for our Vermeer group down in Southern California. So Colby and I, um, we sat down and thought, okay, what can we do? What can we do in this group to make the company better? And so we sat down and I mean, we brainstormed and we worked and we worked and we worked and we set up a mentorship program. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's coaches and there's mentors. I, I had a coach when I was in the when I was in the session, he was a vice, uh, an executive vice president for our construction side living in Dallas. And, uh, so I would bounce ideas off him. We would have a call once a month. You'd bounce ideas off him. You would talk about what you've been doing, what's worked really well, maybe what hasn't worked. Um, that was an excellent, excellent time for me because, uh, Chris Cooper's his name and uh, I mean everybody has their trials and tribulations at work, but I mean to, to, to be able to look at it and go, Okay, what can I do to make this company better? Because, you know, they've invested a lot of time and money into me. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I wanna make it better. So we did the mentorship program, which has worked out pretty well. Instead of doing doing it at a at a, a whole company level, we can do it regionally. So we can have we can have a mentor for a new employee or whatever. Um, and that's worked out really well. So that was one of the programs that, that we came up with there. But I mean, there's there's tons and tons of different programs that come out of that management institute. Um, it's really nice because when you're done with it, you know that you've accomplished something, and you know that uh, that RDO trusts you. I mean, it, at the end of the day, um, if you can do, if you can if you can do one or two little things and make the company better and make make the employees happier. It's just it's a win win. But Mm -hmm. the thirty month group is it's it's a lot it's a lot of work, it's long, but I I mean, if the networking that you build with with people across the construction and Vermeer and Ag I mean, you can't beat it. I'm I'm actually lucky enough to be a coach now, so I have somebody in the group that I coach that is actually a store manager in Redfield, South Dakota. So There
2: you go. Awesome. That's really awesome. I I love to hear that because, again, I do a lot of work in leadership development, Mm -hmm. and I think it's really important. And Some companies do it really well, and others are on their learning curve. It sounds like RDO's got a really solid program in place, and I think that's fantastic. I remember a little bit about when you were going through that program, and I knew it was intense. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess what I'd also like to understand, and I, I have zero inclination. I have no idea, no purview into this with you, even though you're my brother. How would you describe your personal leadership style?
3: You know my my personal leadership style is uh, is really hands on, um, especially on the sales side, because that's what I like to do. I mean, I want to be able to coach my guys to do better, to perform better, because if they perform better, the company does better. and you know what at the end of the day, we talked a little bit last night about commissioned sales guys, then they make more money for their family. Mm-hmm. Um, my personal approach, um, I know that we had spoke last week when I was in Idaho. Um, that was a great week for me in the in the equip the ag equipment industry right now um, there's a lot there there's a lot going on Commodities prices are down everybody's got a lot of used equipment they need to sell um, I believe that we are ahead of that game we started we started thinking of better new and innovative ways to move equipment probably eighteen months ago which puts us ahead of the curve but we decided to 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 make a run into southern idaho and we we traveled probably 500 miles out of our AOR and we were able to and i mean that was that was a great time because I take two of my sales guys that are fairly seasoned and are are good at what they do. And I mean, we go, it's a lot of homework. It's a lot of work, but I mean, we spent, we spent the entire week calling on new customers and uh, working to way different trade areas. So for me, the leadership style for me is to be, to be, it's, it's really hands-on for me. Um, I'm very, very, very competitive and uh, I always want to win. And uh, it's nice to be able to work with those guys. And you know what? I probably, they probably teach me as much as I teach them, but, uh, that's how I do it. And then also it, it's, uh, you know, you can't, I don't think you can, in this business, you really can't be a true leader unless you've been there, and done that. I mean, I can, I can go in the shop and work. I can work behind a parts counter. I can sell equipment. Um, I can do admin stuff if need be. You've got to be able to prove to those guys that you've been there and done it. And, uh, that's, kind of, that's the approach I take.
2: Mm-hmm. And you know it. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And that, the other thing that I think is interesting that I think I've observed in you, and I certainly feel the same way for myself, is that I wouldn't ever ask anybody to do something that I wasn't willing to do myself. In fact, usually am doing it side by side with yep. them.
3: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Um, another thing that's interesting about what you're saying, because if you're a hands-on leader, one of the things that I, I think you must be doing, and this especially when you're on the road with your, with your guys, I don't know if there's any gals there or not, but... Um, it is the idea of coaching and training them, right? So there is generally two kinds of coaching. There's there's proactive, which is when you're you're trying to develop somebody mm-hmm. and nurture them and grow their skills, so that they can be more successful in the future. And then there's of course reactive when you're trying to intervene. Maybe they're going down the wrong path. They're doing something maybe right. maybe not the best way. Right? Can you give us maybe an example of a, of the proactive when you're out there in the trenches with your with your people and you're trying to teach them a good way to sell and connect with customers? Can you help us understand what is that that training look like or sure. that conversation look like no
3: absolutely um, i think you got to be proactive i mean it, to me if i look at it now do we need to be reactive on occasion absolutely um, but to be proactive i think in the business that we're in we need to know that customer's business we probably should know that customer's business better than them um, and that takes a lot of learning um, i think that uh understanding the customer's business and for me Understanding them on a personal level and under, you know knowing them, knowing their family, um, mm. we do that a lot. Um, the, but the main thing is understanding their business because if you go out to a customer's place and you have no idea what its business is, you really don't have a shot to to, to build that relationship. And again, we we don't just sell iron; we're a solutions provider. That's what we do. You know, I I find it it's it's amazing. Christy Offit is is our is our chairman now because Ron has kind of stepped back a little bit and uh, is trying to retire. Christy is is the best lady in the world. Um, what she always says is, she says, you know, we are we're a service company. that just happens to sell equipment, and that's what we do. That's we, cool. We provide
2: a service. Hmm. That's really cool. Yep. Um, so the other thing that's interesting, what you just said there, you just said that you also get to know their families. Mm-hmm. Why is that important? Why do you? Well, do because that?
3: I think, and it's not because we want to sell more stuff. It's because I want to know. I want to build relationships. Um, you know, it's it's amazing. I, I have customers that, that that bought from me when I was an account manager in Pendleton that I still have a great relationship with, and they still call me with questions about, uh, you know, what what do we need this year? What do you think? What do you you know? What what do commodities prices look like? What do you think we need to do next year? Da da da. Um, and I think that uh, knowing them on a personal level, you're friends with them, right? You build that friendship, you build the relationship. To me, and again, I don't, it's not about just selling equipment. You know, it's about it's about building the friendship and knowing that they're—I mean—they have no reason to call anybody else because they know that we're going to take care of them. They know that I have their best interests at heart, or our whole co- our whole team does, and mm-hmm. that's what it's about. I mean, it's not about just selling equipment and, and having these fake friendships that don't really exist. It's about truly having a relationship with a customer and understanding, you know, what they do and their
2: family. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing that I've always known about you that I think, you know, comes across just so loud and clear. You are just real. You know, what you see is what you get. Oh, yeah. And, and I like that about you, and I bet your customers do too. And And, and what you just said there narrates that or illustrates that beautifully. Mm-hmm. I could totally see that coming through. And maybe this gets to kind of what you were just talking about there, Steve. But I always like to ask my guests on the show, "What is it you like about the work that you do? What's enjoyable? What's meaningful about it?" And I know I'll just bet that that relationship piece is pretty important. Um, but what else is well, meaningful?
3: With, without a doubt, the relationship piece is probably the most important for me. But it's not just the relationship piece with the with the customers; it's with the employees. Um, you know, it's amazing that uh, we spend—and I, I know you understand this—but I mean, we spend more time. With our coworkers than we do with our families, and that's true. That is absolutely true with us. Um, And I, I mean, to build the relationships, it's amazing to know that uh, you know. Say we close the store at five thirty or whatever we do at at night or six o'clock or depending on what you know how busy we are. But uh, you know, you can go out in the shop with the guys. You can have a beer with the guys. You can visit, and I mean, before you know it, you're visiting, and it's seven thirty, eight o'clock at night, yeah, because you. You don't really want to leave because the conversations are so good. But I mean, what I love about it is, is um, it's a family. This is our, this is my family, and uh, mm-hmm. it's a great deal. I mean, truly a family. And I mean, we can, I, we, we talk about. I mean, we, I've read books to where you, you know they talk about that cult like, there's lots of companies that are cult like, and uh, we truly are. And I'm good with that. I want to be that way. Um, I want to be able to know that I can go to any technician in the Northwest at any time of the day, any time of the night, and say, hey, I need some help with this. And they're going to come help me. And I'm going to do the same thing for them. And that's the way it should be.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's
3: that's that's the best thing for me.
2: Okay. I have to drill down on that, Steve, because it's fascinating. Because what you're getting at is a really high-quality company culture. It's yes, really what you're describing. Absolutely. And so I guess I want to understand, do you have any insight as to how RDO developed that? How did they manage to create this kind of a culture family?
3: You know, I think that... Uh, that Christy Offutt, I think that Christy Offit has developed it very well. I mean, years ago, um, RDO went public, and so there were stakeholders, in, or there, excuse me, there were shareholders involved. Back on, and I want to say it was 1999, the, the Offit family decided to buy the company back, right? Mm-hmm. Christy came on board, and uh, we have, uh, it's all stakeholders now. It, we don't look, we we look at, um, and I should have brought it in here and hopefully at the next break I'll bring it in and show you our stakeholder wheel but uh, it's got our core values on it it's got our stakeholders on it and then we look at that every, every time we make a decision you can look right at that stakeholder wheel and go okay how's this going to affect the communities how's it going to affect our manufacturing partners how's it going to affect our employees um, and if you can look at that you can look at that every day and truly say you know what we probably shouldn't do that because you know maybe it's going to have an effect on the community Or and, and you know what If we think it's going to have a negative effect, we just don't do it. And um, it's a stakeholder philosophy, which, I mean, you've been in Mm – you you understand how that works, but Mm -hmm. we live it. I mean, matter of fact, when we do an interview with – and we do several interviews before we hire anybody, but I'll bring the stakeholder wheel out and show it to them and say, okay, this is it. This is what we do. Tell me what one you like the most. Mm -hmm. And I mean – we have play to win is one of our core values, and that's a great one. And I used to be the play to win guy, but now I'm more of a create opportunities or partner with employees. Okay. Um, but I like the people to look at it and, and, and tell me what they like about it and explain to me why they think that's a good core value. Um, so, yeah, definitely after that next break, I'll bring it out and show it to you.
2: Okay. What's fascinating about that, so when you're talking with somebody, you're interviewing somebody, and you're asking them a question about why is that around the values and such, is there a way that you can evaluate whether or not somebody's maybe going to be a good fit for the organization based on their responses Oh without a
3: doubt um, we do that we do lots of uh, we'll do the first initial interview and it could be it could just be myself and maybe one other one other team team member before it's all said and done we use we'll do a panel interview so we'll have a parts person sales service maybe our ad, one of our admin people that'll sit down and we'll drill down and, and we had talked a little bit earlier I mean we don't Sure, it's nice to hire somebody that has the ability, but you can't make them engage. You That's can't, right. You can't. They. I mean, they can have all the ability in the world and be a terrible employee. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Um, we really hire on culture fit, and I mean, I drill that down. I'm in an interview. I mean, I'll let them know. Look, if if you don't fit the culture, I don't care how good you are. You're never going to make it. You, uh-huh. won't, you won't. You won't. Stay. You won't stay. Keep you. Yeah. So.
2: Wow, that's really interesting. I, again, because of my background first in human capital and recruiting, I'm very interested in how people get their jobs, How what's the selection process. And then, of course, since I'm in learning and development today, once they're in, how do you grow them and, and make them become more capable and bring out their very best? I mean, all of that is like totally in my wheelhouse. and I love all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. We are already coming to our second break, if you can imagine that. Wow. I know. I, know. I don't know what happened, but here it's we are. by. So it's time for a short break here. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Steve Taylor, who is a regional general manager at RDO Equipment. Up until now, we've been talking about really what the company has been doing to help him develop his own leadership skills and to hear how it is that he expresses them through his work and with his people. After the break, we want to talk more about the challenges that he's had to overcome and really what it is that he thinks has made him successful. Stay with us.
1: To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose.
2: We're all living in the moment, but you never know when life is going to take a unique turn. It doesn't have to be a challenge, but perhaps more of a detour to get where we need to be. On The Sky's the Limit, host Karen Levitt knows that experience, having faced it herself. Learn about her journey from a life-changing event to where she is now. Her guests are amazing people who are living these experiences and overcoming obstacles. Learn from their stories every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We're here with Steve Taylor, who is a regional general manager at RDO Equipment Company. We are talking today from his office in Hermiston, Oregon, one of the places he offices from, I should say. And up through now, we've been talking about really how he's developed his leadership skills here through the company and some of the offerings they provide in terms of leadership and training. And and next, we want to talk a little bit more about this idea. He mentioned earlier the idea of the stakeholder wheel here at RDO. That really is a core component of how they work and how they do their business. And so I asked Steve to say a bit more about that. Sure. Help us understand.
3: Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I guess uh, we'll we'll talk about it. I I brought it in, obviously, for you to see. But if if you look at it, it shows RDO Equipment Company in the middle, which you can see. On the outside is our core values, and on the inside is our stakeholders, right? So our core values are partner with employees, build customers for life, Create opportunities, we do what we say, and we play to win. Those are, <laughs> th- that's what we live by. And then on the, in- on the inside of the wheel, it shows our-, our stakeholders, which are communities, customers, employees, manufacturer partners, and owners. And uh, it's amazing. And I, I-, I don't know what- when to get into it, but we have open book meetings every month, and every store has an open book meeting. And every month, we talk about the stakeholder wheel. We talk about what we've done, you know, how how the decisions we have made have, have affected those those uh, stakeholders in the middle. And um, in our open book meeting, I don't know. I've never worked for a company that is as transparent as we are. Every employee at every location knows exactly where we are financially and where we sit, where we're at it with our stakeholders. Um, every month we do them. We go through the financials for every service department. We talk about what we can improve on, what we can do better. What can the parts and sales guys do? As I said earlier, we've got a lot of equipment we're trying to sell and move out, um, with that, you know, the profit isn't, isn't obviously as big as we want it to be in the equipment side because we've got to move equipment. So what are we going to do? What are the parts and sales departments going to do to help us move that equipment? Well, obviously it's going to be aftermarket support. Um, and it's just amazing Uh, The if you look at the wheel, it's, um, it's truly something we live by. And again, we don't make any decisions unless we know how it's going to affect all of those stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So I'm, that's the, we've got them in every office.
2: You know, what's awesome about this for me, Steve, is, is you, as you probably know, at least on some level, that one of the ways that I amuse myself is that I'm a meeting and work researcher. And I've been working at this for years. And the research that I've just finished working on with a colleague of mine, Owen Lynch, is that we came up with 15 modes of engagement, and what you are talking about here is the, the mode that we call organizational mission alignment. The idea is is that some people find a lot of their meaning by finding an organization that really just fits with who they are, with their values, how they do things, and it's so comfortable and it's so homey for them that it feels like it's another skin almost. And that's what you're describing. Right. And how wonderful that you found RDO and this is a great fit. I mean, everybody wins here. Yep. So just when you were talking, I realized, oh, my gosh, that's the mode of engagement he's exhibiting. Wow, that's so cool. Um, and, and how cool it is that you love this. I'm, we are looking at this shareholder wheel right now in front of us, and it's crisp. It's clear. I see you light up when you talk yep. about it. It's fantastic. Absolutely. Okay. Well, on the other side of things, as I mean, nobody gets to where you are. You're eight years in here, nobody gets to where you are without a few challenges and bumps along the way. Absolutely. One of the things I like this show to do is to help listeners understand how people do get to where they are. I mean, they didn't just, it didn't happen overnight and it surely wasn't easy. Right. So, can you help us understand maybe one or two big challenges that you have gone through and how you navigated them and how you helped, how they helped you come to the other side?
3: Sure. Um, one of them, I guess the main one that I would talk about would be, our, would be, um, well actually it would be like our inventory situation and uh that is a challenge that is certainly a challenge um because knowing that knowing that you know there's x amount of uh, there's x amount on our balance sheet and we know where we need to be and we know we've got to get there by january 31st is when our fiscal year ends but anyway um this is a pretty recent one but uh, the challenge is where do we go where do we go with equipment um other than our normal customers in our in our in our regular area of responsibility. Um, that's been a huge challenge. But I mean, getting working with the guys to think outside the box of what we can do to make to to alleviate an inventory problem. And as I said before, we are not the only ones that have an inventory problem. But we, you know, you basically have, you have to look at it as if it's your business, right? This is our business, and it's our job to to make the business profitable and to look at all of our stakeholders and make sure we're making the right decisions for everybody. Um, that has been a big challenge um, thinking outside the box and thinking of new and innovative ways to sell equipment when you've got, you know, you can leave this store and in the, in, I mean, in either direction, you can probably drive by over the next hundred miles. You can drive by five different John Deere dealers. Mm. That is not us. Right. So what are we going to do? I mean, we don't sell on price. We sell, we sell on the audio promise. We don't, we're not, we're not a price driven group. Um, But to alleviate those issues, I mean, certainly moving outside of our trade area and uh, maybe offering better finance options, building that relationship with those guys that are 500 miles away, that's very challenging, um, especially when they have a good dealer group that takes care of them. So that's a big challenge. Um, another one would be, you know, basically working with so many different employees. You know, when I was, uh, even when I was in the tire business, I I kind of had my own group of people, right? And we were pretty tight. Everything works out pretty well. When you come, when i working here at RDO, I work with, you know, I work with five different stores in the Northwest and then a tiny bit in, in Montana, and you don't know those people. And uh, getting them to understand you and how, you know, how I tick, I've got a, re- I, I have a different personality, as you know. Um, I'm, I'm real direct. I'm real to the point. Um, I'm a bit of a clown sometimes, which, uh, which. May or may not upset people on occasion, which is okay. Um, but you know, I think for me, getting working with those people and having them understand me and how I tick, I, I truly believe that uh, you know they're they understand me and they can appreciate me as much as I can appreciate them. You know, we talk about you and I have talked about a little bit about the Gallup surveys and those type of things, and we do those. I mean, we used to be the great place to work. We did those every year, and you know, you kind of look at that great place to work and you'd say, okay. You know, what can we as a company or we as leadership do better for you on The Great Place to Work, right? And that's kind of what we took from it. It was still a great survey. We still got a ton of great information on it. We moved over to the Gallup one two years ago. And now you can actually look at that and you can kind of gauge how engaged these, these folks are. Mm-hmm. Great Place to Work showed a little bit, but it was more of the the employer looking at the leadership and saying, okay, uh, well, I want, uh, you know, we don't have enough jack stands in the shop or we don't have this or whatever. You look at the Gallup one. And it's really all about engagement. Now you can almost look at it, and we look at it now to where we do our Gallup action planning every quarter. Right? We update them every quarter. Um, now you can look at it and go, "Okay, my team, my team is certainly engaged. They're certainly engaged. They're they're a great group of people." But now we actually have kind of spun that back to go, "Okay, what can so everything looks pretty good. We feel real good about how engaged everybody is. Right? So how is that going to benefit our stakeholders?" How's that going to benefit our manufacturer partners and our owners, right? So you can look at them and go, okay, so now let's sit down and make a plan of what we as a group are going to do to make it better for everybody, not just leadership making it better for one certain group of people. Now we can sit down and, and look at those surveys and go, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to grow the business? You know, what, what commitments are you going to make that I'm going to make to make the business better and grow our business? So... I kind of got on a tangent. I'm sorry about that. No, I but, yeah.
2: like that. I like that tangent. I was going to weigh in on that tangent. Thank you very much. You bet. Because I, I like that. Uh, I am also a big fan of the Gallup organization. I believe in the work that they do. In fact, I am a Gallup certified strengths coach. I like their surveys. I think data is really important. Mm-hmm. And I think if you are continually taking that pulse as it seems that you are, I think that is a wonderful way to help develop your people and, and make sure that you're paying attention to what they have to say, what matters to them, and how they're connected to the organization and their work. So I'm not surprised that you're using something to be able to, to bring back and register that pulse, that heartbeat. That, so I didn't know it was Gallup, but that's awesome. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, all right. Well, my next question here, which I'm going to guess you might struggle with just a little bit because I know you're kind of a humble dude that doesn't talk much about yourself. But it is important for our listeners to be able to have an idea of when people think about, wow, you know, you've, you've come a long way in a fairly short amount of time. You're not a very old man. You know, you're especially not because you're younger than me. Right. But <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I and you're clearly a successful person, Steve. You know, you've done a lot in your in your short time. But I want to understand if you can help us figure it out for you what do you attribute your success to why are you successful do you think
3: well um you're right i am a little i I am fairly humble um i think that uh you know i've been lucky enough um i think that you and i you and i have had we i think we had a great upbringing i agree um our parents are successful they're very driven they do the right thing um i think that uh you know, you learn, obviously you learn as you go, right? Um I think I was lucky enough, um, obviously to have that that part of my life as as well as you. Um I also think that uh you know, understanding how to how to talk to people and understanding their trials and tribulations of the day in their lives and uh you know, maybe not maybe not um may, I may maybe not you know, trying to step in and, uh, and exp- i don't want i'm not i'm not a counselor i'm not the guy to to right. talk to you about your your, per- your personal issues but to understand how how what makes people tick and understand you know what you can do to make them to make them feel better and perform better and you know knowing them and uh under I'm, I'm rambling i'm sorry but knowing them and understanding them and uh knowing what 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 hot spots work for them um you know a conversation I can have with with with, with my part Luke is yep. a totally different conversation than I can have with one of our technicians um, or one of my sales guys. Um, you know, being driven and wanting to win all the time is great, but you got to do it by the rules. You got to follow the rules. I mean, you you uh, I think I've been lucky enough to sur- you know what I've been lucky enough to surround myself with people that uh, that might make me shine a little bit, and hopefully, I make them shine.
2: Mm-hmm. I
3: mean, that's. That's it in a nutshell, I guess. I mean, I, uh, I, I enjoy what I do. I, I, I truly know that I'm never going to work anywhere else but here until the day I die or retire. Um, and I think that I've done – it's been better for me since I came to RDO. You know, uh, things change. Your life changes. You do things. Um, you know, you – I'm truly, I'm truly blessed to work here. I'm truly – you know, do I some, – sometimes do we work a lot of hours? Absolutely, but I mean to surround yourself with people that think like you do and understand what our mission and purpose is that's what makes you a success i mean i don't I don't know that it's i don't know that it's really not rocket science. You just you you've got to understand. You got to understand your people, and they've got to understand you. Mm-hmm. So there you go.
2: Many great points in that, Steve, and just a couple that I want to I just want to call out of that because I think it was it was a gorgeous rendition. But one of the things that you said that's so important that I completely believe in is the importance of surrounding yourself with other people who are smart, intelligent, successful. Mm-hmm. Right, your who, your people, your community, and who it is you plug into is so important. And right. I think that's such a great message for our listeners. Is sure. you know. Keep in mind who it is you're hanging out with, right? Because you're going to become that group without a doubt. And I think that's beautiful advice for our listeners as well. And, and certainly, too, one of the things I would certainly say about you is that you are a very hard worker. You said you're very competitive. You are competitive, but uh, you are, you work very hard. And I know we all we always say, "Oh, hard work will always pay off," and and I do think it it, it can, but not always. Right. But I think that is part of your secret sauce too. Is you work really hard. Yeah. yeah? Yep. Um. Well, one of the things that I want to get to, too, that that may be related to what I asked you before, which is around the meaning and work stuff, but it's a little bit different. I would be really curious to know, you know, in your career, whether it's at RDO or just the whole thing in general, what are you really most proud of in your career?
3: I think in my career, um, what am I most proud of? You know, I think that it's, um, for me, it's not monetary. I mean, it's great to make a good living and take care of your family, but uh, for me, what what I'm the most proud of is, um, you know what is build is is building building your team to be able to replace you, right? Oh, yeah. Um, now you look at that like um, you, that, yeah that that is what I'm most proud of because I've actually I feel like I've been able to do that to an extent with some of our store managers that did replace me, um, and being able to uh, kind of grow from within, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, to have got to have to have people on your team that have put in the time and they put in the work and you, you you really feel that you've coached them along or they've coached you along maybe right? Um, and uh, that's the nice thing. That that's what I'm most proud of.
2: Okay. Excellent. Oh my gosh, that's beautiful. And if that isn't if if that doesn't make RDO proud I don't know what will, but <laughs> what a beautiful thing to say. And and um, I think couldn't agree more. As a leader, what a what a great legacy. We're, we're coming very close to the end of our time already, Steve. And so, if you would, maybe in just maybe thirty seconds or less, what what's the last thing? What's the what? What else do you want to leave our listeners with? Final thoughts.
3: My final thoughts to leave your listeners with. Um, you know, as we talked a little bit about hard work, right? Everybody knows you got to work. You got to work hard to get. You know, everybody's got to work hard. But I'm, to be, I mean, if you if you want to be a manager, you want to be a leader. Look at your people. Understand what makes them tick, and and be personable with them. I mean, they're not a name and they're just not a number. I mean, they're your coworkers they're your team members. And I mean, you're the coach, you're the quarterback, make the plays and get it done.
2: Wow. Great way to finish, Steve. I so appreciate you taking time to be on the show. I know you're very busy. You're all over the place. Thank you for being here with me today. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. So if you want to learn more about RDO Equipment Company, you can visit their website at www.rdoequipment.com. And if you want to contact Steve at all and chat with him more about his his journey, what he's learned, et cetera, you can send him an email to staylor at rdoequipment.com. This has been a very interesting conversation for me, illuminating in many ways. I knew I would learn things about you, Steve, that I didn't know in the 41 years that I've known you. Uh, So next week will be a different conversation as well, one that I hope you'll also find quite illuminating. We'll be speaking with Nancy Shugart, who began going blind at the age of eight, but managed to literally prove everyone wrong who said she couldn't go to college or go to school by attending college and pursuing her dream of becoming a teacher despite her vision challenges. She has a very colorful and inspiring story to share, and I hope you'll tune in for it. But meanwhile, remember, work is at least one-third of our lives, so let's work on purpose.
1: We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.